Chapter 4 of A Red Wallflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. A Red Wallflower by Susan Warner. Chapter 4 Learning. They had a most delightful walk. It was not quite the first they had taken together. However, they had had none like this. They roved through the meadows and over the low, rocky heights and among the copsewood, searching everywhere for flowers and finding a good variety of the dainty and delicate spring beauties. Columbine, most elegant, stood in groups upon the rocks. Hepatica hid under beds of dead leaves. The slender Uvularia was met with here and there, anemone and bloodroot and wild geranium and many another. And as they were gathered, Dallas made Esther observe their various features and family characteristics and brought her away from Christopher's technical phraseology to introduce her instead to the living and everlasting relations of things. To this teaching, the little girl presently lent a very delighted ear and brought, he could see, a quick wit and a keen power of discrimination. It was one thing to call a delicate little plant arbitrarily sanguinaria canadensis. It was another thing to find it its place among the floral tribes and recognise its kindred and associations and family character. On their way home, Dallas proposed that Esther should stop at his house for a minute and become a little familiar with the place where she was to come to study Latin, and he led her in as he spoke. The Dallas's house was the best in the village, not handsome in its exterior, which bore the same plain and somewhat clumsy character as all the other buildings in its neighbourhood, but inside it was spacious and had a certain homely elegance. Rooms were large and exceedingly comfortable, and furnished evidently with everything desired by the hearts of its possessors. That fact has perhaps more to do with the pleasant, livable air of a house than aesthetic tastes or artistic combinations apart from it. There was a roomy veranda with settees and cane chairs, and roses climbing up the pillars and draping the balustrade. The hall, which was entered next, was wide and homelike, furnished with settees also, and one or two tables for summer occupation, when doors could be set open front and back, and the wind play through. Nobody was there today, and Dallas turned to a door at the right and opened it. This let them into a large room where a fire was burning, and a soft, genial warmth met them, along with a certain odour, which Esther noticed and felt without knowing what it was. It was very faint, yet unmistakable, and was a compound probably made up from the old wood of the house, burning coals in the chimney, great cleanliness, and a distant, hidden, secret store of all manner of delicate good things, fruits and sweets and spices, of which Mrs. Dallas's store closet held undoubtedly a great stock and variety. The brass of the old-fashioned grate glittered in the sunlight. It was so beautifully kept. Between the windows hung a circular mirror, 
to the frame of which were appended a number of spiral, slim, curling branches, like vine tendrils, each sustaining a socket for a candle. The rest of the furniture was good, dark and old and comfortable. Painted vases were on the mantelpiece, and an old portrait hung over it. The place made a peculiar agreeable impression upon any one entering it. Ease and comfort and good living were so at home in it, and so invited one to take part in its advantages. Esther had hardly been in the house since the death of her mother, and it struck her almost as a stranger. So did the lady sitting there, in state, as it seemed to the girl. For Mrs. Dallas was a stately person, handsome, tall, of somewhat large and full figure, and very upright carriage, handsomely dressed, and with a calm, superior air of confidence, which perhaps had more effect than all the other good properties mentioned. She was sitting in an easy chair, with some work in her hands, by a little work-table, on which lay one or two handsomely bound books. She looked up and reviewed Esther as her son and she came in. "'I have brought Esther Gainsborough, mother. You know her, don't you?' "'I know her, certainly,' Mrs. Dallas answered, holding out her hand to the child, who touched it as somewhat embodying a condescension rather than a kindness. "'How is your father, my dear?' "'He does not feel very well.' said Esther, but he never does. Pity, said the lady, but Esther could not tell what she meant. It was a pity, of course, that her father did not feel well. Where have you been all this while? the lady went on, addressing her son. Where? Well, in reality, walking over half the country. See our flowers, in imagination, over half the world. Do you know what a collection of coins Colonel Gainsborough has? No, said the lady coldly. He has a very fine collection. I see no good in coins that are not current. Difference of opinion, you see there, mother. An old piece, which when it was current was worth only perhaps a farthing or two, now when its currency is long past, would settle maybe for fifty or a hundred pounds. That is very absurd, Pitt. Not altogether. Why not? Those old coins are history. You don't want them for history. You have the history in books. Pitt laughed. Come away, Esther, he said. Come and let me show you where you are to find me when you want me. Find you for what? asked the lady before they could quit the room. Esther is coming to take lessons from me, he said throwing his head back laughingly as he went. Lessons? In what? Anything she wants to learn that I can teach her. We have been studying history and botany today. Come along, Esther. We shall not take our lessons here. He led the way, going out into the hall, and at the further end of it, passing into a veranda, which there too extended along the back of the house. The house on this side had a long offset, or wing, running back at right angles with the main building. The veranda also made an angle and followed the side of this wing, which on the ground floor contained the kitchen and offices. Halfway of its length, a stairway ran up, on the outside, to a door nearer the end of the building. Up this stair young Dallas went and introduced Esther to a large room, 
which seemed to her presently the oddest and also the most interesting that she had ever in her life seen its owner had got together apparently the old bits of furniture that his mother did not want any longer there was an old table devoid of all varnish in the floor covered however with a nice green cloth two or three chairs were the table's contemporaries to judge by their style and nothing harder or less accommodating to the love of ease ever entered surely a cabinet-maker's brain the wood of which they were made had however come to be of a soft brown colour through the influence of time and the form was not inelegant the floor was bare and painted and upon it lay here an old rug and there a great thick bearskin and on the walls there were several heads of animals which seemed to esther very remarkable and extremely ornamental one beautiful deer's head with elegant horns and one elk head the horns of which in their sweep and extent were simply enormous then there were one or two fox heads and a raccoon and besides all these the room was adorned with two or three birds very well mounted the birds as the animals were unknown to esther and fascinated her greatly books were in this room too though not in large numbers a flower press was in one place a microscope on the table a kind of etagere was loaded with papers and there were boxes and glasses and cases and a general air of a place where a good deal of business was done and where a variety of tastes found at least attempted gratification it was a pleasant room though the description may not sound like it the heterogeneous articles were in nice order plenty of light blazed in at the windows and the bearskin on the floor looked eminently comfortable if that were luxurious it was the only bit of luxury in the room where will you sit asked its owner looking round there isn't anything nice enough for you i must look up a special chair for you to occupy when you come here how do you like my room i like it very much said esther slowly turning her eyes from one strange object to another nobody comes here but me so we shall have no interruption to fear when you come to see me queen esther you will just go straight through the house out on to the piazza and up these stairs without asking anybody and then you will turn the handle of the door and come in without knocking if i am here well and good if i am not here wait for me you like my deer's horns i got them up in canada where i have been on hunting expeditions with my father did you kill them some of them but that great elk head i bought what big bird is that 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 is the white-headed eagle the american eagle did that come from canada too no i shot him not far from here one day by great luck are they difficult to shoot rather i sat half a day in a booth made with branches to get the chance there were several of them about that day so i lay in wait they are not very plenty just about here that other fellow is the great european lammergeier esther had placed herself on one of the hard wooden chairs but now she rose and went nearer the birds standing before them in great admiration 
slowly then she went from one thing in the room to another pausing to contemplate each a beautiful white owl very large and admirably mounted held her eyes for some time that is the great northern owl observed her companion they are found far up in the regions around the north pole and only now and then come so far south as this what claws said esther talons yes they would carry off a rabbit very easily do they cried esther horrified i don't doubt that fellow has carried off many a one as well as hosts of smaller fry squirrels mice and birds he looks cruel observed esther with an abhorrent motion of her shoulders he does rather but he is no more cruel than all the rest the rest of what said esther turning towards him the rest of creation or the carnivorous portion of it i mean are they all like that they don't look so the eyes of pigeons for instance are quite different pigeons are not flesh eaters oh said esther wonderingly no i know they eat bread and grain and canary birds eat seeds are there many birds that live on flesh a great many queen esther all creation nearly preys on some other part of creation except that respectable number that are granivorous and herbivorous and graminivorous esther stood before the owl musing and dallas who was studying the child now watched her but what i want to know is began esther as if she were carrying on an argument why those that eat flesh look so much more wicked than the others that eat other things do they said dallas that is the first question why yes said esther they do pit if you will think there are sheep and cows and rabbits and doves and chickens halt there cried dallas chickens are as good flesh eaters as anybody and as cruel about it too see two chickens pulling at the two ends of one earthworm oh don't said esther i remember they do and they haven't nice eyes either pitt but little turkeys have dallas burst out laughing well just think esther persisted think of horses beautiful eyes and then think of a tiger or a cat said dallas but why is it pitt queen esther my knowledge such as it is is all at your majesty's service but the information required lies not therein well isn't it true what i said i am inclined to think and will frankly admit that there is something in it then don't you think there must be a real difference to make them look so different and that i wasn't wrong when i called the owl cruel the study of animal psychology so far as i know has never been carried into a system meanwhile suppose we come from what i cannot teach to what i can here's a latin grammar for you esther came to his side immediately and listened with grave attention to his explanations and directions and you want me to learn these declensions it is a necessary preliminary to learning latin esther took the book with a very awakened and contented face then put a sudden irrelevant question pitt why didn't you tell mrs dallas what you were going to teach me the young man looked at her somewhat amused but not immediately ready with an answer 
wouldn't she like you to give me lessons? I never asked her, he answered gravely. Esther looked at him, inquiring and uncertain. I never asked her whether I might take lessons from your father, either. No, of course not, but... But what? I don't know. I don't want to do it if she would not like it. Why shouldn't she like it? She has nothing to do with it. It is I who am going to give you the lessons, not she. And now for a lesson in botany. He brought out a quantity of his dried flowers, beautifully preserved and arranged, and showed Esther one or two groups of plants, giving her various initiatory instruction by the way. It was a most delightful half-hour to the little girl, and she went home after it with her Latin grammar in her hands, very much aroused and wakened up and cheered from her dull condition of despondency. Just what Pitt had intended. End of chapter 4